Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of the Circe Institute Podcast Network is brought to you by the Institute for Excellence in Writing, which equips teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials to aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. At IEW, it is their privilege to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. To learn more, please head over to IEW.com. Well, welcome back to The Commons, part of the Circe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, and today I'm joined uh, by Dr. Gregory Thornberry, the president of the King's College in New York City. We're going to be talking about life in the city for a Christian college, talking about higher education, and giving some counsel to parents and students who are making decisions when it comes to those college choices uh, which can also be very, very difficult and stressful. So, uh, Dr. Thornberry, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on The Commons. It's a very great pleasure to be with you. Now, uh, let's begin with um, sort of a introductory and, I guess, a lighthearted question. Uh, you've been the president of the King's College in New York City since uh, 2013. Yes. Um, that's uh, a... a Life there in New York is something I want to explore here in just a few moments. Um, Happy to talk about it. And you also have a lot of other titles as well. You're a professor of philosophy there at the college, a senior fellow at the Kairos uh, Journal, and a member of the Society for Christian Philosophers. But, but I did notice on your college website you have another title that has been assigned to you by the American Spectator, and that is America's First Hipster College President. Uh, so let me hear your comments on that that very interesting title. Well, that uh, there were a couple of monikers that happened when I was appointed president of Kings uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Russell Moore told the media I was Jonathan Edwards meets Rolling Stone. Um, there was another one uh, on... I think it was a religion news service reporter that uh, said on Twitter, Harry Potter elected sixth president of uh, <laughs> the King's College. And um, But the last one really took the cake was that article in the American Spectator. I think 
I think what they meant was this. At the time that I was appointed, um, I was a dean uh, of the School of Theology at Union uh, University, and I was a philosophy professor. And uh, I was playing in a rockabilly band at the time, and I had uh, my hair resembled more like Ray Davies from the Kinks than it did, uh, you know, uh, a um, uh, a Wall Street executive. And I think when they Googled me at the time, I mean, I had sort of like, a, you know, the old... Uh, the old dictum, uh, think Yiddish, uh, dress British was, uh, the thing. <laughs> so like, wow, this guy's sort of, uh, he's very young, uh, and fashion forward and he's in New York city. And of course the birth of hipsterism is in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's how I got that title. Well, uh- I don't want to get sidetracked too much here, but I have to say that if there was ever a meeting between Jonathan Edwards and the Rolling Stones, I would love to be uh, a fly on the wall. Um, yeah, I want to. I actually, it would be very interesting because Mick Jagger is uh, went to the London School of Economics mm-hmm. and is quite a philosopher himself. So I think uh, I would love to hear uh, America's greatest theologian uh, interact with uh, with Mick. Well, that is probably a discussion for another time, I think. Um, yes. A follow-up podcast, perhaps. Yes. Um, now, some of our listeners may not know much about the King's College. Um, sure. And, of course, hearing hearing from you personally would, would mean so much more than just perusing a website. So, yeah. so talk to us about the, the vocation and uh, vision of, of the King's College. Yes. Well... Uh, thank you so much for asking. It's uh, not hard to get motivated uh, to talk about it or to get motivated to go to work in the morning because there is nothing quite like the King's College in New York City. I was doing a podcast just like this one um, a couple of months ago with Timothy George, who is uh, one of America's greatest uh, living theologians and church mm-hmm. historians. And he said, now, the King's College he said, you're on Wall Street, right? And I said, yes. And he said, right here in the heart of Manhattan. And I said, correct. And he said, you know, that's a little different than most Christian colleges and universities, uh, most of which are located about 75 miles from any known sin. So you (laughs) find where culture is created. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, where the powers go out from the center and a lot of Christian institutions drive, you know, in the opposite direction about as far as they can go, and they talk about culture. Mm-hmm. They talk about cultural engagement. But I believe, and the King's College stands for actually taking cultural engagement seriously. It's not just opining about it. It's not just reading mm-hmm. about it. It's not about blogging or tweeting about it. It is actually being in those places where culture is created. Mm -hmm. People talk about the media all of the time. They Mm -hmm. complain about the media. Where is the media? It's in New York City, a lot of it. I mean, this is where the the concentration of uh, media capital is. And that you just go on down the line. New York City 
is, according to sociologists, the world's only alpha plus plus city. Hmm. Um, it, you, there used to be two, New York and London, but since uh, Brexit, uh, sociologists now think that New York is really the only one. And, you know, people complain about Wall Street. They complain about um, all sorts of things that are New York City focused. You know, back in the election campaign, there was a debate over New York City values on both mm. sides. New York is the bellwether for the entire history of this country, going all the way back to the founding fathers. New York City has been the place that has shaped uh, culture, maybe Washington, D.C. is the place that enacts the laws and collects our taxes. But as uh, he's now back in, in the news and in favor, Alexander Hamilton, uh, the first uh, secretary of the Treasury, um, he understood that uh, as an orphan coming from the West Indies, if he could just make it to New York City, he could uh, prove not only prove himself, but he could change the world. Hmm. Archimedes... Uh, the ancient Greek philosopher and mathematician once said that if I have w just one firm and immovable spot against which to push, I can shift the world. And uh, we believe that's New York City. So the mission of the King's College is this. Through the truths of Christianity and a biblical worldview, the King's College helps students to prepare for careers in which they will help to shape and eventually to lead strategic public and private uh, institutions. So we want to see faithful, God-fearing young men and women going into the world's leading finance firms. We want to see them going into the mainstream media, not just obscure alternative media. We want them to go into the leading arts institutions and into the fashion industry. I was having lunch a couple of months ago with um, Eric Metaxas uh, and several folks that were visiting King's, and there were some King's students there, and they were going around saying where they were interning and where they were getting jobs. And uh, one young fellow said, I've just become a men's buyer at Barney's. Mm -hmm. And Eric just brought the whole conversation to a ground ground stop and said, this is not insignificant. You may be the first Christian at Barney's in hmm. 30 years or 40 years. So that's what it's about. And, and uh, I could keep talking about this forever, but let me, just, let me just pause on this point. I think we have adopted this exile metaphor for culture that, you know, We've, you know, we have no influence. We've lost. We need to run to the hills. Uh, the Benedict Option, you know, and I'm, this isn't a criticism per se of the Benedict Option. All I'm saying is here's what I see every day. Mm -hmm. Our students can compete because pagan, secular employers see the Christ-centered servant attitude of an intelligent young person who is as good as any of the kids from the Ivy League schools, and they'll keep coming back to that well over and over again, hmm. and that's how you engage culture. Now, the you, you've mentioned a good bit about the city, of course, and, and life in the city and um, it being the bellwether. Um, there, there have to, of course, be some 
some unique challenges to that, being not just a nominally or historically uh, Christian college in uh, in the city, but um, a, a devout Christian college in the heart of New York City. Uh, what are some of the unique challenges that you you face there? Um, and it's wonderful to hear about the the success and the influence that your students are having. Um, but how would you say it, life might be different there for the King's College than than other Christian colleges or other uh, institutions of higher learning? Well, uh, for one thing, New York City is uh, is a place where you've got to bring the goods. And it's you have to compete. You have to learn to compete in the marketplace. And it is uh, it is a place that's not. It's very exciting to live, but the the uh, the city makes you grow up fast. You have mm-hmm. to learn how to uh, navigate things and be tough. And uh, part of what we're trying to do at the King's College is to challenge. Uh, I would say a relatively coddled generation of Christian young people who have been, thank God, in many, many and even most circumstances, loved by their parents, especially if they're going into classical schools. Their Mm -hmm. parents (laughs) deeply care about the kind of education that they're getting. So there is a lot of care. But one of the things I've seen, not only in, in previous institutions that I've been involved in, but but uh, as I go around speak in the you know, country in various different places, there's a softness hmm. that characterizes this generation. They're a little bit timid, um, or even if they're not timid, they they may not be tough. And uh, so there is something about one of the challenges of the city is that, you know, it's not going to grant you any favors, not going to give you a pass because, you know, um, you won the spelling bee, you know, 10 years in a row or whatever. I mean, it's going to be give it if you've got it. So that's one element that's that's Mm -hmm. uh, that's tough. Another thing is that, you know, again, there you can theoretically go to worldview camp or whatever and talk about what these secular pagan you know people are going to be saying to you uh maybe someday on down the line here i mean it's like you know like it doesn't you have to don't have to walk very far to have a very real conversation about those things so another thing that's that's challenging about it is that you actually have to be able to in the spirit of first peter 3 give an answer you have mm-hmm. to be ready to defend because, you know, people talk to you and you say, I mean, I, I, this happens to me all the time, you know, whether it's on the subway or I've had a New York Times reporter say this to me, um, you know, uh, now the King's College, like, is that the same one that Alexander Hamilton went to? And I was like, oh, no, 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 that was King's College and that became Columbia University because after the American Revolution – Nobody wanted to be called King's College, <laughs> right? Anymore. Right. But I said, "We're we're the King's College," and they'll like shake their heads and they're like, "What king king are you talking about?" <laughs> I'm like, "Jesus," and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, well, you know," and then they have a zillion questions, and then you better be ready to answer those questions. It's not just theoretical anymore. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, you you mentioned 
um, parents who are providing classical education, and the the majority of our listeners are classical educators in uh, whether it's as homeschooling parents or uh, in a in a day school setting or even uh, perhaps higher education. So, um, can you describe for us the the place of the classical or liberal arts curriculum at um, at the King's College? Yes. Well, let me say, I'm happy to answer that question, but first of all, let me say that one of the reasons why uh, when I became president, we sort of reshaped our admission strategy around recruiting homeschool and classical students because uh, I believe that that sort of classical, liberal arts, homeschool kind of education really prepares you for New York City. I've seen it time and time again. It is money in the bank. Uh, it's because when you ha- come from that background and you're reading, you're, you're sort of re-inhabiting that, uh, the classical world, the Dorothy Sayers lost tools of learning world, you go back into that world of the Irish monks, you know, in the, in, in the wake of St. Patrick, who as opposed to the blood martyrs, the red martyrs that were living everywhere else in the Roman Empire, the uh, the Irish, you know, Thomas Cahill, the, how the Irish saved Western civilization. They saved Western civilization by becoming green martyrs. Because there was not this conflict narrative, because they weren't being slain by Roman imperial persecution, it had not moved that far west. The military might of the Roman Empire didn't go that far west. They had an appreciation for the, uh, the, the pagan writers in the classical world of antiquity that, um, that made them green martyrs as opposed to uh, uh, the blood martyrs, the red martyrs. And then they in turn became white martyrs. They they went into the world to make the re uh, make literate again the Western world, and uh, so I see that happening in classical education, and that's why I think it works, and that's why we try to build upon that at King's. Now the King's College core curriculum builds upon that classical and liberal arts base with a politics, philosophy, and economics curriculum that was developed by Oxford University. Um, if you do any kind of study um, about this, uh, BBC or The Guardian, they always it seems like every year they write an article about why are 10 out of 12 cabinet members and you know David Cameron's, I know Theresa May's now the prime minister, who knows for how long, but when David Cameron was uh, prime minister, they ran the story. Why are ten out of twelve of David Cameron's, you know, cabinet ministers PP and E graduates from Oxford? Well, the answer is because it works. It produces leaders, people who know how to think around a problem. So, if you're reading Plato and Aristotle and Thucydides, you know, ancient military history and you are committing these texts to memory, there is something about that approach that teaches you how to think around problems. And it actually makes you more skilled in the workplace because 
all of I see this in our graduates when they have that PP&E core and they're challenged to debate great ideas. And we have a debate culture at the heart of King's. A lot of the kids from, you know, elite institutions are like what William Derizowitz, the former Yale professor, called excellent sheep. They super bright. But they just kind of want to be told what the technique is so that they can get a good job and have a nice life and be kind of bourgeois. Hmm. But if you have that kind of classical, liberal, PP&E kind of approach, you actually are a gamer. You're like it, you're wading into the, the debate. So that, you know, we have economics and we have ancient philosophy, ancient medieval philosophy and um, – those are the kinds of things, you know, ancient history, because, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the ancient world and the founding fathers of this country experienced every single one of the questions that we're debating now mm -hmm. in culture. And as G.K. Chesterton once said, tradition is the democracy of the dead, it gives the most underprivileged class of all a chance to vote in our affairs, our ancestors. So that's all we're trying to do here at King's. Hmm. Thank, thank you. That's very interesting. Um, and, and I know a lot of um, classical schools and homeschooling parents, as they have children rising to make those college decisions, um, that will be very uh welcome news to many of them, I'm sure. Um, now, and I want to come back to that as well, those challenges about college decisions and so on. But um, let's first address um, what has been the topic of a lot of your writing uh, in, in the past. You've written some about the challenges facing higher education. And I asked you specifically about the challenges that you face there uh, in New York City uh, at the King's College. But in, in your experience, speaking more broadly here, um, what do you think are the greatest challenges facing Christian higher education in America? Because uh, this is something that people run into you know, from a lot of different perspectives uh, as, as um, high school teachers or homeschooling parents or, or just parents with uh, a high school junior or senior, um, and then, of course, those involved in higher education itself. So what do you think are the greatest challenges facing higher education now, particularly for Christians? Well, let me say that um, I, I don't know that in, I could in good conscience be anywhere other than Kings right now because uh, I know that when a, when a student comes here, the thing that we, the value proposition that we have is access and opportunity. So because you're in New York, you can prototype different career paths. You can be at a tech firm interning one semester in a fashion company the next and media the next and finance the next. Uh, a lot of Christian institutions have tried to build up these huge, uh, this huge apparatus, all of this you bulk um, you know, programs, and they've tried to build it all out there on campus. And in this day and age, what employers really want is experience. And so I think 
one of the problems facing Christian higher ed is relevance in the marketplace because it's just hard to replicate and go up against some of those, you know, heavyweight, you know, uh, institutions in, in, uh, that have, um, you know, all this sort of wind at their backs. So that's a very practical thing. I think more theologically, Christian higher education is drifting. Uh, there has been a professionalism that has uh, been more important than conviction and theological and moral virtues. Um, there have been faculty members hired at many institutions that have no business being there that don't represent the uh, the beliefs and the worldview of godly parents that send their kids there. And um, you gain or lose your mission. I know this as a president. You gain or lose your mission one hire at a time. Hmm. And you have to be constantly vigilant. This is one of the reasons why uh, I make every single one of our prospective faculty members get interviewed by the board, like one-on-one, regular people that are not just in higher education, because there's there's almost a psychosis that, that enters in where you make excuses for people that maybe are not that strong in the faith. You have to police it. You have to guard, you have to be very, very vigilant. And so there's a lot of drift in Christian higher education. And you don't want to ever say bad news. You can't admit that you've got some wolves in sheep's clothing, maybe, you know. And so you pretend and then people come and they're disappointed. So I think that lack of conviction now, very practically third in terms of sort of the the secular threat, many of the accrediting bodies, um, that are in the professional, uh, the professional programs. Now at King's, we don't have like engineering and nursing. And I mean, we, we do New York city type stuff. So Mm -hmm. someone wants to study nursing, they could get a great liberal arts degree here and then go do an accelerated nursing degree, you know, upon graduation. But a lot of those, uh, a lot of those programs, social work, education, business, those, those accrediting bodies, now have um, accreditation standards that have to do with worldview, hmm. sexuality. Um, you know, uh, what does the you know does the school allow all different kinds of religious and sexual expression and etc. Et and and uh, chief amongst these, by the way, is the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And and for the past, it's so funny. I have David. I have what I was teaching in Norway a couple of years ago, and one of my students asked me, "Can you define evangelicalism for me?" And I said, I just jokingly said, "Sure. It means anything you can do, we can do later. We can do anything later than you. No, you can't. Yes, we can. You know." And so, all of these. Christian schools have like fallen over themselves to get involved with the NCAA. And now the NCAA is really kind of a progressivist left wing organization. 
that's going to get start giving and is already giving a lot of these institutions a very hard time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, with those challenges in mind, then, uh, and I know you very likely meet a lot of um, parents of prospective students and the prospective students themselves, of course. So, so what uh, what counsel do you offer them as they're preparing for college and making these sorts of decisions? Uh, so, so talk to the, I guess, particularly the parents out there with their junior, senior in high school, and they're looking at these decisions, what counsel do you have for them? Well, the, I mean, the, the, uh, the first thing that I would say is this, that uh, unless the faith of the child is real, you're going to be in for some tough sledding. Um, and so, I mean, I really do think I've seen so many families get in tough situations because they, you know, maybe their kid went forward when they were little or, you know, if they're more of in a free church tradition or maybe if they're in a more covenantal tradition, they just sort of assume that the, you know, the, the, um, the federal vision is, is, is in effect. And, and I, and I don't have any, I, I mean, all of those traditions have their, um, their biblical, uh, supports to them and so forth, but there needs to be a real reckoning in terms of, you know, um, uh, have you been born again? So I see this a lot, you know, at Kings where, uh, when we, you know, they get they get here and they're seeing the city and they're asking a lot of questions, and wow, it's incredible how often the real issue is this person has never repented and received Christ. So and submitted themselves to the you know the the text of the Bible and you know so that's number one. You know, don't assume anything that Junior loves the Lord because kids like kids fake it. Hmm. You know, to to please their parents, they want to please their parents, and so that's number one. Number two, they're really. I mean, I one of the things that's going to be better for your listeners is the whole issue of family religion. You know, if 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 um, if you are not practicing the spiritual disciplines of scripture, memory, and um, uh, prayer, uh, learning seriously how to pray. Uh, if you're not reading the biographies and memoirs, not only of the, the biblical figures, but of great Christian saints throughout history, you uh, can be very easily swayed um, I don't know any way you can survive without truly practicing. I'm not talking about spiritual disciplines in sort of the mystical, Quakery kind of way. I'm talking about um, really uh, devoting yourself to a sort of a genuine piety. So those are the things that I would challenge every family as you're making that college decision. 
because especially if they're not going to – I mean I, I've criticized Christian higher ed a little bit here, but let me tell you. I mean you want to talk about the clubbing of the baby seals. You, you know, go to big state university and it, it is an assault. Uh, it, it's an all-out ideological manufacturing plant. And, you know, you that's why I believe Christian higher education is still crucial. And Christians have always understood that, that we need to have our institutions where our views are being heard. Because, uh, you know, going to a Bible study on a big secular campus is not the same thing as having professors, you know, with a Ph.D. in biology or whatever that actually believes that the Bible's true. Hmm. So, uh there, there's a lot of, of gearing up that needs to be done and digging of trenches before you go. Well, Dr. Thornberry, you've given us a lot to, to think about here. I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to talk to us about life there in the big city, in the okay. big city, right? Um, yep. Greatest city in the world. <laughs> and uh, thank you for your, your counsel to, to parents and um young students. And um, again, most of all, for taking the time to join us here, we we do appreciate it. Of course. All right. Thank you so much. Well, this has been uh, The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, signing off with Dr. Greg Thornberry, and we will see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.